3, 1 John chapter number 3, and we just pray for Junior Church. Lord, bless the teacher and the students and part richly into their lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Bless God. Hallelujah. 1 John, 1 John chapter number 3. Father, we pray right now, Lord, that uh, you would open heaven and Lord Jesus, living word of God, be exalted. Holy Spirit, take the living word of God, seal it, inscribe it upon our hearts, and seal the word of the living word of God within us, that we be changed and transformed forevermore. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. First John chapter number three. <clears throat> Last week we, we were speaking about behold what manner. Remember what manner of love. Meaning there's a love that is out of this world. Literally. That's what it literally means. There's a love that's out of this world that has been bestowed upon us. That's come from outside the realms of this earth. That come from heaven. From God's throne. And cover us. That's that love that changes us and transforms us. Not only, not outwardly, but it does so inwardly. Right? So God's love comes inside of us through Jesus, through Christ, that the love of God comes into us and changes us from the inside out. Amen? We can go to a hairdresser and they can give you a great hairdo and you look good on the outside, but God comes in to dress us up and make us look good on the inside. How does he want us to look on the inside? Like Jesus looks. Remember we said he comes to work, to fashion us and form us into the image of his son. So the Lord wants us to look inside and to become like Christ inside. And as we become like Christ inside, it doesn't matter what we look like outside. It's that the love of God is manifest through our, through us, uh, whatever we look like. It doesn't matter. Right? But how, whatever we look like outwardly, it doesn't matter. What do you look like inside? And that's why in, stay here Nancy, but in John, in first John, when we, when we went to chapter one, it says, God is light. We spoke about chapter one, John was speaking to his, to the disciples, to the believers, to those who are in relationship with the Lord, to those who have made a decision and a commitment to follow Jesus, to follow the Lord, to listen to His Word. And so John is speaking to believers. He's not speaking to a world that doesn't want to know God or doesn't care about God. He's speaking to those who've come together in the name of Jesus to want to follow the Lord, to want to be changed and want to be transformed. How many of us want to be changed and transformed on a daily basis? We all do because we're, we're believers. We're in a, we're works in progress. And as long as we understand that, we have a healthy mindset that God is at work in me and He's perfecting me because I want Him to. I want change. I want God to come into me. He is light. The Bible says God is light in 1 John. And why is he light? Light for the, to show us the truth about God and everything. But the light comes into our life to show us about ourselves. God wants us to see ourselves for who we are. To know that without Christ we are nothing, but that with Christ in us, Christ wants to come 
and make some adjustments and rearrangements in our life. And so he wants to come and, and clean us up on the inside so that we can be all that God wants us to be and desires us to be. This is a good thing. God's purposes for your life are for good. God wants you, 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 everyone. He wants you to be the best you can be in Him. And in order for Him to do that, He says, let me put on the light so you could see who you are. Not to get condemned, not to get your head all guilty and, 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 and oh, what a terrible person I am. No, God puts on the light inside of us so that we can see, whoa, Lord, this, this is dark here. This needs to get out of here. And so the light comes on so that we can see the things we need to get out of our lives, the things we need to let go of, let God help us with, because it is only through the power working of God, through His Holy Spirit, that any of us can cleanse our, can, can have things taken out of our lives and removed. And so God puts the light on, and then we make the decision. You know, God is, God is, He's almighty, He is all powerful, but He is also a God who has given us a free will and a choice. To say, listen, I'm living, I want to live in your life, but I want you to choose. Do you want this thing to go or to remain? And, <clears throat> and if we say to ourselves, we want it to remain, then God's work comes to a screeching halt in our life, so to speak. And until we let that thing go, then God can move another step forward in forming us and in fashioning us into His image. So God does not come in to hinder our growth or our maturity. We hinder ourselves, but there are those things. And if we come, that's why the light comes to say, examine yourself. Look at yourself. Not in a condemnation type way, but in a way to say, Lord, I want to clean my house. I want, I want to be the best I can be for you. Help me, Lord, to see what needs change in my life. And so when the light comes on, you know, things like, uh, things that we all face in life, God comes in to help us to let go of those things. That's why in chapter 1 it says the light comes and it calls us to what? Anybody remember? It calls us to do what? To repent, to confess our sins. Remember that word? Chapter 1. Read it again. To confess. The light comes on that we can see the things we need to confess of. And so again, it's not to think... See, man uses confession to make you feel, woe is me. I'm no good. I'm worthless. I sin, you know, I made too many mistakes. Oh, God can't do this in me. Man uses confession as oppression in your life. But God uses confession to release you, to let you get free so that God can pour His wonderful blessings and work into your life in a mighty way. Confession in God's way and in God's economy, in God's Word, according to God's principles, confession reaps, just pours blessing into your life. Confession sets you free. Man-type confession puts you in bondage and guilt and in shame. 
And man says, I remember growing up in the church, you know, and whenever you confessed, you had to go say all kinds of prayers and get on your knees and crawl and whatever, and, and you just felt like a little old filthy worm. Like, uh, my life is never going to get right with God. But that's not God's plan. God says, let the light come on, the light of truth. See yourself that you need to confess to God and to repent that God can change you and God's God can just pour His oh His wonderful He can bring in His whole construction crew and start to work inside your life. So confession is a good thing. It's a positive thing. Never look at confession as an oh me, oh my, oh guilty me, oh poor me, filthy me. No, confession is acknowledging, Lord, I need cleansing. I need help here. I need strength overcoming. I need strength help getting this out of my life. God loves that. Acknowledging that you need help getting rid of something and God will come in and say, let me give you a hand here. He'll give you a hand and help you get it out. But you got to kind of like pick it up with Him and make that effort to throw it out of your life. And so God, He loves us. He comes in with His light and He says, walk in the light. Walk in the light. Daily walk in the light so you can see. Again, God's light comes for our blessing, for our good, so that God, who has made us His sons and His daughters, God, who has made us His children, can work His wonderful work in your life. God wants to work wonderfully in you. So don't hang your head, lift your head up. And say, I am a child of God who is at work in me, cleaning me, cleansing me, strengthening me, making me someone of worth and value in His kingdom. But, you know, you are already of worth and value. Sometimes we say, He's going to make me worth it, worthy and valuable. No, you are already worthy and valuable. Be Why? Because God has made you His son and His daughter. There is no son or daughter who is unworthy. When you're a child of God, you're worthy because Christ has made you worthy. Not of any righteousness of our own, but God has clothed us, remember we said, with a garment with a garment of salvation and with a robe of righteousness. And so God looks at us that way. And in chapter two again, he goes on to, to tell us that the things that hinder us, the things that come to hinder God's making us who He wants us to be is from the outward forces of this world, sin. We have an enemy who wants to hinder God's work in your life. That's why, why is sin there? Sin is in this world to come against you, to get into your, into your way, to make you stumble, to make you, to make that work that God is doing slow in your life come to a slowdown or a halt, but He can't stop it. Sin cannot, in itself cannot. We are the deciding factor. God is willing that we progress in Him. Sin is saying, stop, put on the brakes, slow down, don't grow in God. Put, you know, and so sin comes in as a hindering obstacle in our relationship to God when we are born again. And so we go now, we want to see that John chapter 3 tells us that we 
behold the manner of love God has called us. We are sons of God. And if we go up to verse number 6, where it says that, First uh, John 3, verse 6, I believe we left off there last week, it says that, Whoever abides in him, in Jesus, does not sin. And again, anyone who thinks that verse in Scripture, you can look at all the other verses. You have to take the Word of God in context. Here it says, Whoever abideth in him, in Jesus, sinneth not. I know some people that says they're no longer sinners because they're in Christ and they use that verse. And that verse is not saying that if you're in Christ you will never sin again. That's a lie. That is false. That's deception. The Bible says here that whoever is born again has Christ in them will not choose a habitual lifestyle of sin. That your life has been turned around. Does it mean that you will stumble and fall over sin? Yes, but there's one who will cleanse you immediately, who has cleansed you and raised you up. But it means that you have not decided to make your lifestyle a lifestyle of sin. When you're born again, when you repent, it means you do a what? A 180. That I was going this way, and now I'm going this way. And while I'm following the Lord, I might stumble, but I'm no longer living a lifestyle where I delight in doing these things on a daily basis and ignoring the Word of God and the help of God. So here it's saying habitual. We cannot. If we're born again, if we have God's seed in us, if we are new creations, we cannot. It is impossible to continually have a lifestyle that delights in sin. We cannot. Whosoever sinneth have not seen him. Again, habitually with a lifestyle has not seen him or known known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. Let no one deceive you. Let no one pull the wool over your eyes. And he says, he that does righteous is righteous. When Christ is in your life, he comes and he puts in you a desire. There is now a hunger and a thirst to follow the Lord. To want to live for Jesus. We all want to live for Jesus, don't we? We all know. I don't have to tell you, we all know that we don't have our act together 100%, do we? All of us, in areas of different areas, we all stumble, stub our toe, fall short. But does that mean God is not in us? No, He's in us. Our desire is to walk with the Lord, to follow Him. Lord, lead me on. And so when we stumble, God is there to pick us up. But our desire, our heart's attitude is to live righteously as best we can. We want the Lord to work in us. We want the Lord to change us. And so he that does righteous is righteous even as he is righteous as the Lord because the Lord is in you changing you into his image that God wants us to live the way he wants us to live amen and it says he that committed sin is of the devil he that committed sin habitually whose delights in it whose lifestyle is one who says I don't want to change I don't want to change. I love this. I want to continue to do this on a daily, regular basis and have no desire for God in his his or her life. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Why has God come into your life? That in your life he can destroy all the things that Satan has tried to build in your life. To try to get you hooked to. 
or, or, or attached to or, or entrapped or ensnared. Why does the Bible say he came to set the captives free? Sin takes us captive. But Jesus came not to tolerate sin, not to overlook it. He came to set us free from that and to destroy, to break down, to get rid of the desire, to get rid of that root desire that makes us want to sin. And so when he comes in, he destroys the works that Satan had put in our lives. Because without Christ... Our desire was to do the works of the devil, to do the works that are unrighteous and sinful. We looked forward to it. We wanted to do it. We delighted in it. But when Christ comes in, he comes in to tear that all apart and throw it out. And he makes clear. That's why he said in the verse before, don't let anyone deceive you. And he goes on to tell you. That if someone says that they are born again, that's why Jesus says you'll tell a tree by its fruit. That eventually someone can say, I'm a believer, but if their lifestyle is continually one in, in a sinful lifestyle, are they? But one who does righteous is righteous, and one who does not is not. Verse 9, whosoever is born of God does not commit sin again. For his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. Again, you cannot have a desire for the sinful things of this life on a daily basis if you're born again. When God comes into your life, he makes you a new creation. And that new creation is, has a desire now for the things of righteousness, for the things of God. Now again, you may stumble and fall, but quickly God is there to cleanse you. Confess. The light goes on. Confess. You made a mistake. You did wrong. You sinned. Confess. And that's the difference. Those who are believers are striving for righteousness, but when they fall, they know that they can confess and be cleansed. And they desire that, to be confess and be cleansed. Where someone whose lifestyle is not for the Lord does not confess, does not want to confess, but makes excuses for their lifestyle or makes excuses for their sin that God loves me, God knows what I'm doing and He loves me anyway. God says, I love you, but you need to confess before that can be cleansed. If you don't confess, you're living in sin. And if you think you can hide things or make excuses to God about your sin, you're deceiving yourself. That's why he said, let no man deceive you. And don't deceive yourself. And that's this world. This world makes excuses, excuses, excuses. Well, what I did isn't such a bad thing. And God overlooks that. So I I don't need to confess. God knows. Yes, God knows. Absolutely, he knows. But the light comes on and the Lord says, confess, so I can do the good work I want to do in your life, that I can set you free. Because excuses are entrapments and snares that keep us bound. And sooner or later, those excuses start bringing us, drawing us away from God. We start slowly backing up from God, excuse after excuse, why we shouldn't confess. Pride, oh, I'm too proud to confess to let... God says, let the light come on and confess your sins that I may cleanse you. And when you have that attitude and that mindset and that heart set, that Lord, I've sinned, I've stumbled, cleanse me, help me, give me strength. This is beauty in God's eyes. But when we say, Lord, you know, you love me, I make mistakes, come on. 
God says, no, confess. And so, in this, the children of God are manifest and the children of the devil. And he's talking about manifest, meaning what? This is how you can tell. This is how you can see. Being manifest means you can, you can literally see. When, a, when the Bible says that, you, that uh, you'll tell a tree by its uh, a fruit, right? Fruit is something that becomes manifest that you can see. You can see an apple on an apple tree, can't you? And whatever other kind of tree there is, you can see the fruit on that tree, right? And so he says, he said, In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. God makes clear, in this world you're a child of God or you're a child of the devil. Okay, that's the way it is. That's the word of God. And people don't want to hear that. Oh, God loves everybody. Yes, God loves everybody. But God says there's a choice, a decision. You're either a child of God or a child of the devil. There's no in-between. On Sunday, I'm a child of God. Monday through Friday, I'm a child of the devil. No, it doesn't work that way. It sounds cute, but this not doesn't work that way. You're either you're either a child of God or you're either a child of the devil. Nothing, there's no middle ground. And so make a decision, make a choice. Are we are we children of God? If so, be happy, rejoice, confess. Let God be God in your life. Let him work that wonderful work he wants to do in you. This is a good thing. Confession is a good thing. Acknowledgement is a good thing. Denial and excuses are wrong and bad, and they're from the enemy who wants to hinder your relationship with Jesus. He wants to hinder the good, beautiful work that God wants to do in your life. So kick the devil in the face, throw all those excuses out, and say, Lord, here I am. I'm being truthful and honest with you. I need help in this area. Help me cleanse me. Deliver me from this. And God will come in with his power and help you to come in. Well, he says, this is how you'll know the manifestation between the children of God and the children of the devil. Whoever doth not, who doeth not righteousness is not of God. Meaning again, continually, a lifestyle, neither he that loveth his brother. You can't say you love God and hate your brother. You just can't do that. Because Christ in you, as he, he makes you a new creation, has turned things around in your life. Where it's impossible to love your brother, now God says, it's not only possible, it's required, it's commanded that we love. And only by God's manifestation in us, by His Holy Spirit power in us, by His love being formed in us, are we able to love. I can only love you, I love you Dave, I can only love you through, through Christ. Only. I can only love you, honey, through Christ. You can't love your wife, you can't love your husband the way with God's love unless Christ is in you. You can't. And so he says, verse 11, For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Why? Because this is God's plan. God wants us to live in, in love, in, in, in oneness, because Christ Jesus gave himself for, for every one of us. Amen? If Christ died for you, who am I to, to hate you? I can't. It's against, the, it's, against, it's against, it's a violation of God's love for me to hate you. I can't. I might want to, but I, I can't. <laughs> be honest. Be truthful. 
And there's, there's things that happen in the body of Christ and the fellowship of believers that make us want to... But we got to withhold ourselves. we got to stop and say, No, Lord, I need help here. I need to forgive. I need to understand. I need to love. I need to have mercy. I need to have forgiveness. I need to... to I need, because if we look at ourselves, the light goes on, and we look at ourselves, we're no better than anybody else. We all need help in one way or another. We all need it. I'm not better than you, Mark. I'm not better than you, Carol. And you're not better than me, neither one. We all need help. We all have shortcomings. We all have faults and failings. And we need the, the work of the Lord in our lives. Cain, who was of that wicked one. Now, how do you know Cain was of that wicked one? Well... Cain didn't have a relationship with the Lord. Did he know the Lord was there? I'm sure Adam and Eve, I mean, Adam and Eve preached to him, told him, raised him about God. But did Cain have a relationship with the Lord? How do we know he didn't? Because his relationship was one of with, with the devil, with Satan. How do we know that? Because it was manifest in Cain where his relationship was. It wasn't with God, because Cain manifested hatred for his brother and hatred that became murder. Cain slew Abel. Now, he wasn't in relationship with God, because had he been in relationship with God, God would not have him. And so, Cain, who was of that wicked one, the word just makes very clear, we don't have to, we don't have to uh, analyze was he or wasn't he. The word of God tells us he was of the wicked one and slew his brother, and wherefore slew him. Why? Because his own works were evil, and his brothers were righteous. How many of you get persecuted because you're living for Jesus? Because you want to do righteously, people hate you. And hatred comes, and persecution comes. Why? Because you've made a decision to live for Jesus. That's why it says in verse 13, Marvel not, my brothers, if the world hate you. This word, if, in the Greek, implies truth. That it doesn't mean if, like you're wondering, is the world. It means that the world does hate you. Because Jesus in the gospel says, if the world hated me, how much more, wow, this this, this is hard, how much more are they going to hate you? And we look at how they hated Jesus, and now they're going to hate me even more. Oh, my goodness. Well, that's, that's the cost of following the Lord, of being a disciple of Christ, of being a born-again believer. The world is not going to love you. They're not going to woo-hoo over you. The world is going to despise you. The world is going to persecute you. The world is going to do what it can to swallow you up, to get you out of that relationship and let you become one of them. But the Lord says, marvel not if the world hates you. We know. God says we have a confidence if the love of God has been in you and made you a new creation, you will have a confidence, you have a, an assurance, knowing, knowing that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. And if we don't love the brethren, we abide in death. It means we haven't been born again, really, if we hate our brothers. So when the love of God comes in you, it gives you an assurance that you know you're a child of God. And that if you stumble, you can confess, and God is there to cleanse you. He's still working wonderfully in your life. And that wonderful work helps you to love your brother. 
And if you come to church hating your brother, speaking, you know, looking and, and whatever, we got to stop and pull back and say, Lord, I need help here. I need you to help me. I need to help. I need to love my brother and sister. I can't look at them cynically. Now, we, we're not stupid either. No, the Bible says we need to be wise in all things. But we need to come in with an attitude of love. Whoever hateth his brother is a murderer. That's a, you think about that. Think about that. This is the Word of God. If you hate your brother in your heart and you don't let that thing go, it means if you, if you hate it and you just foster it, you just keep it feeding fuel. I'm not talking about hatred like once, you know, you get, you get old, somebody does something and you say, ah, man, I hate them. <coughs> what this is talking about, and we shouldn't even get to that point, but what this is talking about is when you have a hatred for someone, they may have offended you and, and, and the offense may have hurt. And it may be a legitimate reason that you're that you're hurt. Life hurts us. People hurt us. Whether it be from in the church or outside the church. And the deepest hurts come from when we're hurt in the body of Christ. I've been hurt deeply by ministers and people in the body of Christ. But does that make me turn away from my relationship with the Lord or my love for my brothers and sisters? No, because that's the ploy and the work of the enemy to use someone. You use a brother or a sister to cause hatred or disgust for the body of Christ to come into your life or for any other minister. Because a minister offended me, does that mean I hate all ministers? Does that mean as I look at them with, with, with very you know, cynical and judgmental things? No. I've learned in my life, yet that a man hurt me, he needs help. He needs my prayers. He needs repentance. He needs something. But my focus is not on him. My focus is on me. Lord, I don't want that that offense that, that offended me. I don't want it to disrupt my relationship with you and my relationship with my brothers and sisters. And I've seen it time and again where that offense takes someone and takes them out of fellowship or hardens them to what God wants to do through the body of Christ. This is a reality. It's widespread reality because the devil knows that if he can get a minister to offend or if he can get a leader to offend or a Sunday school teacher or an usher or just someone sitting next to you to offend you, then it disrupts your whole relationship and walk with the Lord. It disrupts how you look at things. And so we need to guard ourselves, to guard our spirit and say, Lord, though I've been offended, though I've been hurt, I will not, I will not foster this hatred. I will not foster, I will not get fuel to this hatred. I will try and just throw it down, flush it down the toilet, and say this is a new day. And I'm looking forward in a new day. And I want to love my brothers and sisters. I want to love you, Lord. I want to help the body of Christ grow. I want to do good. And so, see, the devil would want us to hold on to hurts and to other things and make them grow into a hatred that that fosters You know, if you keep feeding fuel to a fire, guess what? It's going to burn. It's going to keep burning. And the more fuel you put onto it, the more it's going to blaze, right? But God says, get rid of that pull. Stop feeding that fire so it goes out. God wants to extinguish that fire of hatred. And so he says, you know, because what does hatred lead to? Murder. 
If we hate, we murder. And Lord, God, help me. I don't want to be a murderer. I don't want to have hatred. I need your help. I confess it to God. I need your help to overcome this and get it out of my life. Take a fire hose, Lord, and put that that thing out, you know, and get rid of it. Quench it. Quench it. And so he says, Hereby perceive we the love of See, no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. It's a sacrifice, living sacrificially. It's not just about us. Sometimes we got to just defer. The Bible says defer one to another, get, you know, give in. Get, you know. And so sometimes we just have to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso has this world, uh, and, we're, and I just think... Uh, or we're going to go through this real quick. But whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need and shut up his bowels of compassion from him, how does the love of God in, dwell in him? See, the God is saying when we see someone in a need that's continually in a need and we have the ability to give some type of relief to that need, we just can't ignore it. We just can't ignore it. Because if we see that a person is, has a real need, a genuine need, and is a continual need, and, and we have the ability to somehow, not solve the whole thing perhaps, but if we see that in some way we can bring relief or some kind of easement to that suffering and that pain, then we should, we should act on that. We just can't close our eyes and make believe it's not there or it's going to go away or... But the Bible says if you just say to your brother, have faith and believe and go away, when you're able to help, then we're worse than the heathen, it says. And so when we see a legitimate need in the body of Christ or in the church or in the body, we need to say, how can I help within my means, within my means? Not everyone can do the same thing or help the same way, but within my means, how can I give something and be some kind of help in some way? to ease that burden, to ease that pain, to ease that suffering. So the Lord wants it because the Lord is a God of what? Compassion and mercy. Amen? So the Lord wants us through His love at working us to, to see things with compassionate eyes, with eyes of mercy and forgiveness and love and kindness. Because when we're in need, we pray, Lord, I need help. And God sends someone to help us. And so when we see someone in need, as you reach out to help, you're an answer to prayer. You're a blessing sent from heaven to that need. And God is not forgetful of what you chose, what you choose to do. The place you choose to put yourself in. And so he says, my little children, let's not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and doing. Verse 19, and hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence towards God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of Him because we keep His commandments and do the things that are pleasing in His sight. He's saying, see, even if our hearts sometimes we think we messed up or not doing the right thing, God said He's greater than that. He's at work in us to bring us to a confidence and an assurance that His work in you will bring you to, to do good thing and you'll have a good conscience. When you help someone, even in a small way, I know many times I've seen someone in need and sometimes I've even done things uh, without even knowing who I am or who I was. 
but I can sleep good at night knowing that I was able somehow to help someone in need. Whether they knew about it or not, I was able to sleep my conscience when I lay my head on the pillow at night knowing that I'm not so wonderful and good, but Lord, because of you at work in me, I was able to help someone to bring easement and, and some type of comfort to someone. And I'm telling you, when you lay your head on your pillow at night, there's no greater there's no greater peace or joy knowing that at the end of the day you did the best you can. You can't do everything to help everybody or any uh, uh, out of everything, but can we do something? You know, go into the soup kitchen. You're helping someone. At the end of the day, when you lay your head down on the pillow at night, knowing that you were able to bring a, a hot meal and love and compassion and the word of life to someone, you sleep well that night. You still see the needs. The needs are still there. You didn't solve the world's problems. You know, you can't, you can't shut, close, or, you know, you can't take care of everyone's need. But if you were able to help someone in some small way throughout that day, I sleep well at night. But if I go to bed saying, Lord, I could have helped that person, sometimes it's restless and you don't sleep very well, knowing that you could have done something and you didn't. But God says, that's okay. Don't let that work into condemnation where you feel worthy, unworthy. Tomorrow's another day. So God cleanses our conscience, but he still stirs our heart that in the days ahead, we can still have opportunity to do good. And he that keeps his commandments dwelleth, Nancy in the verse, that's the last one, dwelleth in him and he in him. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the spirit which he has given us. Again, the Holy Spirit in you is the one who's at work in you to keep reminding you, you are a child of God. God loves you. God is not out to condemn you or to hurt you. God is out to love you. And God is forming you into Christ so that we can love one another. So John, 1 John 1, 2, and 3 is so wonderful where God tells us to walk in the light, be honest and truthful about who we are, the things we're suffering, the hurts we feel, but walk in love. Chapter 3 tells us, walk in the light, and if you walk in the light... And allow God to be God in you. Let Him heal you. Let Him come in. And you confess. God says, then you'll begin to walk in love. You see, God is telling us here that we are able, as we walk in the light, we are able to walk in the love of God. So John is saying, be encouraged. He's, these are not verses of condemnation and of guilt to make you go down. These are things to bring you up. Know that the light of Christ has come into your life to build you up and to do a wonderful work in you and to let the love of God be manifest in you for one another and for God. So as you walk in the light, you begin to walk in the love. You can't walk in love if you're not walking in the light. So you need to walk in the light of truth first, knowing that God wants to cleanse me. God's at work in me. And as He works in you, then you're able to walk in that love of God. Amen? So we walk in the light, and we're able then to walk in the love of God. Stand with me this morning. And I just want you to just take a moment just to pray and ask God to help you to walk in His light and in His love. And I just pray that you will look at, at, at the things in your life that need cleansing, the things in your life that you need healing from, the things in your life that you need to let go, you will look at them differently. You will say, Lord, I want to 
let these things go. I want to be healed. I want to, to, to work in me so that I can live in your light and in your love. 